Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. John chapter 3.22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So just a little background here. What we're going to hear about is the last prophet who was going to point to Jesus being the Messiah, you know that this promise of a Messiah, Savior, goes back for millennia, literally all the way into the Garden of Eden, just after Adam and Eve sinned. God promised that he would send someone to crush Satan's skull, crush his head. And now, down through all these many centuries, through the prophets and so forth, God has been promising to deliver on this Messiah. John the Baptist is going to be the last prophet to point forward and say, here comes the Messiah. And now, he's out in the Judean countryside baptizing, and along come Jesus and some of his early followers, and they're going to be in that same countryside baptizing. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 23. Now, John was also was baptizing at Anan near Salem because there, were, there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and, and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, that man was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. Now, what had happened is that Jesus had come down to the Jordan River, actually, thank you, Doug, to be baptized. And, um, and as he was coming down there to, to be baptized by John, John had very blatantly pointed to Jesus and said, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Clearly, professing Jesus as that sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for sins that God had promised to send. Okay? So the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing, and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. Now, what had John's disciples said to him as he, as he uh, was listening to them? They said the six words that most pastors don't want to hear. They said, everyone is going to him. They're switching to his church. Okay? But what's John's reaction? It's like, no worries. Because you have to understand my mission. My mission is not about me. My mission is to point people to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. What you're seeing happen is what was planned to happen, and it's a very good thing. And then he uses a metaphor, kind of about a bride, bridegroom, and a best man. And he says, I'm the best man. This is the way it's supposed to work. I'm not supposed to be getting all the attention. I'm supposed to be directing attention to the groom. So he goes on, you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. This is the way it should be. This is my mission. The one who comes from above is above all. You see, now what he's going to do is run through a list of things that say, here's why you need to pay attention to this guy, Jesus. Why he's the real deal. Okay? The one who comes from above is above all. 
The one who is from the earth, like me, belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven, like Jesus, is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Would you take out your pens and just underline that entire last verse, 36? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is the critical verse in this text. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So, you know, I've been away for a couple of weeks. I've had lots of uh, time to sort of research this message and think about it. Uh, expect a few more quotes today because I've had that chance to, to like, really drill down and, and see what's going on. One of the questions that came t- to my mind as I was wrestling, I mean, wrestling with this text on a beach in Hawaii. Um, sorry, you know, I had to make one reference. That's all. We're not talking about Hawaii after this, Okay. It was great. (laughs) As I was wrestling with this text, the question that came to my mind was, uh, what about this thing of Messiah or Savior? How, how common is that in our culture? Like that, that people even think about or talk about a Savior. And I, I was actually, like it was surprising to find that our culture, which, by the way, is very influenced going all the way back into Greek and Roman culture two millennia ago by this idea of savior, right? In, in Greek culture, you, you had philosophers like Epicurus, you had gods like Zeus, you had leaders like Ptolemy who were all hailed in their own time as saviors. In Roman culture... You had the emperors and their families, like Nero. Nero called himself a savior of the people of the empire. And so because our culture, Western culture, is so influenced by those ancient roots of civilization, Western civilization, that's very much part of our culture, too. In the movies, for example, there was a a comedy movie called Saved, a horror movie called Sweet Savior, and a drama, a dramatic movie, just simply called Savior. And the, the whole uh, idea of a Savior plays itself out in many places in our music world. There are, there are songs with the word Savior in them done by such artists as Bob Dylan, Lisa Marie Presley, 30 Seconds to Mars, Billy Bob Thornton, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You can find, you can find music about salvation and save me, uh, from, from bands Dave Matthews, Queen, Fleetwood Mac, American Hi-Fi, Aretha Franklin, Katie Lang, and one of my favorites, Kelly Osbourne. So this is massively, this whole theme of a savior is, is throughout our, our whole culture. We've got comic book world saviors like Superman. We've got political world saviors like Whoever's the candidate of your choice, of course, he's the one that's going to come and save us from the tax man, right? 
We've got sports world heroes. You, you know who the latest big sports world hero is, don't you, if you've been paying any attention to, to football. He, he played for Indianapolis, right? Peyton Manning. Man, if that guy comes in and he's your quarterback, he's going to save your team and quite possibly your fan base as well, which is a good thing since football's a business, right? He's the savior. One of the biggest ones, kind of ironically, is a movie that says, a series of movies actually, that says you can kind of pick your savior and you might need to choose your savior, won't we? Right? Right? I mean, whose team are you on after all? Right? Are you, uh, you know, put yourself in Bella's shoes. Are you on Team Edward or are you on Team Jacob? And, and so you have to, at, literally in this series of movies, she has to choose, is it better to have a vampire savior or a werewolf savior? And she, I think, you know, as, as those of you who have seen the movie, she kind of wavers a little bit back and forth between those two. So this is massively throughout our culture. So write that down. The idea of a savior, I guess we've made that point plentifully, that's common in our culture. But here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets a little dicey. Because this idea of a savior can get to be very controversial, can't it? And those of us who are Christ followers, who are Christians, know what that's about because we are people who confess on the basis of Holy Scripture, of the Bible, that there is only one Savior. We're going to talk about why we confess that later on in this message, but that's our message, and it's one of exclusivity. And in our culture, in our culture, which really encourages us strongly to be accepting and tolerant of many different paths to God, of many different ways to heaven, of many different gods and heroes and saviors, to say there is one exclusive savior of mankind, only one person who can take away your sins, only one person who gives you the key to heaven, only one person whose way leads to life here and in eternity. That's very controversial. So I warned you, I found some quotes, like this one from a young 24-year-old woman who lives in Manhattan. Her name is Blair. And here's what she believes. It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior. Have you ever heard that from someone? It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior. Maybe you've even felt that about Christians before. We have a lot of people who come into our church, and that's what our church is all about, who are kicking the tires of Christianity. They're, they're exploring, and they don't know exactly what they believe. Maybe you're one of those people, and, and you might even be saying to yourself today, man, isn't it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way that this Christianity stuff is superior and try and convert everyone else to it? Blair goes on, she says, surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers, Right? So one charge against Christians is that we're just flat-out arrogant. But others go a step beyond that. They say it's not just harmless pride that you're too full of yourselves, that you think you're the only right people. There are people who go on and say, no, this is really harmful. 
This is dangerous. Like Jeff, for example, who was quoted as saying, religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if all other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. So I don't know what you think about this exactly, but I can tell you that what we're, what we're bringing to the fore here from our culture itself ought to tell us that this discussion, is he the only way to heaven, is extremely relevant because you have people in your lives all around you who have this question in their mind, who have been taught by our culture to think savior, but who also have been taught by our culture and our world to say, don't claim an exclusive one person, one way to heaven ticket, because that's just flat out arrogant, if not dangerous. And that's why we feel it's so important during this series to authentic Jesus to delve into this very relevant question. So write that out. The idea of a savior is common in your culture, but the idea of only one savior is very, very controversial. Here's here's what has influenced our culture. We, We are now living in a smaller world. And, and what has happened now in this smaller world is that we're getting to see and know people from all over the world. They've been raised with different religions. We're getting to hear from people all over the world, many of whom are celebrities who have a stage. You've got John Lennon, for example, who said, I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. So he's like, they're all really kind of the same, but... The translations has made, have made it appear as if they're teaching something different. Mahatma Gandhi said, all paths leading to God are equally good. Oprah, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Stephen Colbert, one of my f- favorite newscasters, always very objective, Though I am a committed Christian, he says, I'm a committed Christian. I believe everyone has the right to their own religion. I actually love Stephen Colbert, but listen to this. I believe everyone has the right to their own religion, be you Hindu, Jewish, or Muslim. I believe there are infinite paths to accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then finally, one of our world's greatest theologians, Homer Simpson, said, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. That's our world. That's our world. And it's good to laugh at it a little bit. But it's also good to step back from it and ask ourselves, what does that mean for us who claim to be Christ followers? And what does it mean for the Bible's claim that Jesus is the only way. Now, does he really make that claim? Let's ask that first of all. So take your crosswalk notes. I want you to flip it over, backside, very top. Look at what Jesus is quoted as saying in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now just pause there. 
Remember what we've been saying out of our culture. What does our culture say? There are many ways. There are many truths. There are maybe any, many definitions of life. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't use any plurals in that statement. He only uses singular. He's really telling us quite blatantly there is one way, one truth, and one life. And then he takes it a step further by the very first two words. Because he doesn't say, I'm going to show you the way, the truth, and the life, or I'm going to define the way and the truth and the life, or I'm going to lead you to the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And by the way, for Jewish listeners, anytime someone used I am, do you know what that always took their, their minds back to immediately? To what? God had told them his name was going all the way back to Moses. Remember Moses asking, he said, who shall I say sent me when I go to tell the people I'm supposed to take you out of Egypt to the promised land? And what was God's answer? God's answer was tell them Yahweh or I am sent you. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he's claiming to be Yahweh, God, and he's claiming to be the one way, the one truth, and the one life. And now he, he knocks it out of the park. He drives it home by saying what he says next. No one. Will you underline that word? No one. It's actually two words, isn't it? No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know about you, but... I just don't see any other way to interpret what Jesus is saying here other than to say there's only one way and I am that way to heaven. And everyone needs to to know about me as the way because no one is going to come to the Father except through me. Jesus is basically saying, if your destination is heaven, there's only one road. There's not many roads. Don't don't take out a road map and say, see, all these roads end up here. No, he's saying there's one way. And in fact, he says in another place, the way that leads to salvation is extremely narrow. It's a path compared to the freeway, the mega freeway that leads to destruction. And so he himself says, this is a very narrow path. Now, how different is that from sort of the three modern takes or the three modern responses to Jesus that that we have? And we, we have to clearly see these because these are exactly the same things that when John the Baptist is in the wilderness... And when he's in Judea and he's baptizing and his disciples come to him, he kind of tackles these. Because I'm sure these were probably common back in the Baptist day as well. So the first of the modern responses or takes on Jesus is that Jesus is a good man. Many people will say to you, yes, he's a a great man and he's a person that we should model our lives after. And this, this response to Jesus is basically saying, if you want a life coach, 
you want someone to teach you how to live with wisdom and with grace and, and to, to teach, teach you how to be the best that you can be so that one day you might find yourself in the eternal hall of fame because you've been that good of a person, Jesus is your guy. And he's not the only guy. You know, there are others in the hall of fame. You know, Buddha's there, Muhammad's there. There's other guys in there, right? Peyton Manning's probably there and Steve Nash, for all I know. They're all there. And you can model your lives after them, but you certainly could not find a better life coach to coach you up, get you ready, make you a top-level performer than Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for a life coach, they would say, he is a great man, do that. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that the Bible reveals that we don't need a coach. And the reason we don't need a coach is because we're not even to that point because of our sin where we're coachable. We're, we're, we're lost. We're, we're blinded by our sin. We are completely helpless because we have completely missed the mark with God's holy will. And God is angry. He's upset. And our relationship by nature with him is severed because of our sins, our guilt, our shame. And so what we need is, is not a coach. We need a savior. We need a hero to come in and pluck us up and rescue us. That's what we need is rescue. So it's great to say that Jesus was a great man, but that's not really what you and I need. The second one is Jesus ought to be outlawed. He causes too much division, too much trouble. And in fact, in the 20th century, we saw whole nations attempting to outlaw Jesus. The USSR, communist China. I had a daughter who went to China a number of years back on uh, mission work, but she had to keep it very much on the down low. She was not allowed to tell anyone that she was in there to share Jesus with others. Uh, She had to meet with people in her own apartment or in their apartment, or once in a while they could sneak into a coffee shop, but she had to be very, very careful, and she had to ask the Chinese people to be very, very careful because there just wasn't. Now, I hear that it's getting better gradually, gently, but it's still not easy in places like China to be a Christian. And now in today's world, now in the 21st century, it's very difficult to be a Christian in an extremist Muslim country. Your your life is actually on the line in many countries. And so Jesus ought to be outlawed is very much a part of our world. It's even sort of a part of American culture, but in a different way. It's, it's part of our culture in the sense that the intellectuals who are rationalistic and who don't like faith will simply try to teach us out of talking about Jesus and sort of socioculturally try to outlaw him from the conversation, you see? And that's how they like to work at this angle. And that leads us really to the third one, and that is that Jesus is a private matter. That it's okay if you want to be a believer. I mean, there are faiths, and if you want to trust that Jesus is your Savior, and if you even want to talk about him a little bit, as long as you choose the time and choose the place, we're fine with that. But just remember, 
Each person's faith is a private matter, and be respectful, and don't push yourself too hard on people because it's all just a private matter. I'll bet a lot of you in your workplace encounter that, don't you? That, okay, if I bring a Bible to work, do I leave it out on my desk? Because what will people think if I leave a Bible out on my desk? Do I put it in a drawer where no one can see it? Could I read it in front of the boss, or what would the boss say? Would he say, you know, it's okay if you bring your Bible to work, but just don't show it to anybody. Jesus is a private matter. Now that takes us into what we see in, in this morning. And especially I want you to look at verse 26. I've got it there in, in your, uh, on the back page of your crosswalk notes. So here are John the Baptist's disciples. They come to John and they say to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the, the one that you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going over to him. And, and as I said briefly when we were reading the text, John hears this and what would be for maybe many religious leaders kind of bad news, I'm losing my followers for John, is thrilling. He's, he's actually excited to hear this because this tells him that his mission is being carried out and completed just the way he was intended to do. Because he was, he was called to be, as I've said earlier, the last prophet, what's known as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was there to point directly to the living Jesus and say, look, he's here. Your, your Messiah has been born. He's arrived. You need to only come to me temporarily. I'm not the reservoir. I shouldn't be collecting all of you. I'm just a point along the river. Your ultimate destination is your true Savior, your true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, I certainly hope that when you come to a church like Crosswalk, when you come here, you get that exact same vibe. Whether it's from our members, maybe out on the patio, volunteers in children's ministry, uh, neighbors that you're sitting next to, uh, here in the seats, from the staff, from me. The, the vibe, the, the, the feeling, the truth that this is not about us. That we are not here to collect followers of Crosswalk. We are here to be a point along the river to point you to Jesus Christ, your one true Savior, the one who can take away your sins, the one who can clear away your guilt and your shame, the one who wants to take the burden of your hurts and pains on, on his shoulders. The one who says, I would love to have you in heaven with me for eternity. And I will send you my Holy Spirit to create faith in your hearts. I will send you my Holy Spirit to strengthen you daily through the Bible, through baptism, through Holy Communion, through these means of grace. You will become stronger and stronger because I'll be there sending the Holy Spirit to make all of that happen. And I'll walk with you as your Savior, your Lord, your best friend, your Messiah for your entire life. I hope you hear that the message of this church is to direct you to him. That we're also pointing like John the Baptist and saying, look, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There he is, Jesus Christ.
And, and when you see John the Baptist doing what he does, and, and you, you can read all about what, what he says. He, he says, as he goes on, he uses this metaphor And he starts it by saying, you yourselves can testify, verse 28, if you want to read along with me on the front side, you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only sent ahead of him. And then he uses this metaphor of a bridegroom and a bride and their best man. He says, look, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the best man. It it would be completely crazy if I, as the best man, am trying to gaze into the eyes of the bride while they're getting hitched up, right, and go, here I am, you know. Don't forget about me. Because the bride should only have eyes for the bridegroom on the wedding day. My job as the best man is is to serve the bridegroom and get everybody focused on him. See how he says that? The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Verse 29. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Now, here's what John is saying. He's saying to his disciples and through them to us, Jesus is not just a great man. He is the man. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your forgiveness. He is your key to heaven. He's not just a great man to model your life after and try to become your own savior. You can't. You're helpless to do that. He's the man who will save you, your Lord, your savior, true God, true man in one person. He's also saying there's no way to outlaw this guy. And people are going to try. Trust me, they're going to try. In fact, John the Baptist, in a short while, is literally going to lose his head for confessing Christ and pointing people to Christ. He's going to be arrested And there's going to be literally a little dance. And his head is going to be requested on a platter. And King Herod is going to give it. So John's going to lose his life. It's going to be fought tooth and nail. Jesus himself, as we know, is going to be crucified. Because of those who want to outlaw him. But John's saying, you can't outlaw this guy. And, and by pointing to him and publicly proclaiming him as the Messiah, he is certainly telling us this is no private matter. This is the most important matter, and we need to be shouting it from the riverbeds, and we need to be shouting it from the mountaintops and from the rooftops that Jesus is the one true way. There's one other response, one sort of ancient response that we see here. And we see actually throughout the Gospels and in the New Testament. Did you catch it? When those disciples come and say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is is going to him. You know what they're really asking? What's going on here? 
we see this guy going around, and, and when we hear him teach, it's, it's better and more than we've ever heard before. It's amazing. We see him going around, and, and the sick are healed. And thousands of people are fed with five loaves and two fish. How does that happen? What's going on here? We see him caring for people and loving people and saying things like, I'm the way and the truth and the life. What's going on? John, can you interpret this for us? John does. He says, what do you expect? Remember what I said? I told you, I'm not the Messiah, but he is. He's the Savior, the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. And we should always understand that he's going to do amazing things because as the Son of God and as the Messiah, that's what he does. And don't expect anything different. And then very quickly... John the Baptist goes through three things that are basically him saying, here's why I know he's the Messiah. And and he hits three points. The one who comes from heaven above is above all. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And if you actually flip over the page, you can see that there's a little more to that. The one who comes from above, Jesus, is above all. The one who is from the earth, me, John the Baptist, belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Don't you see the difference between us, he's saying? The one who comes from heaven, he repeats it again, is above all. Anytime something gets repeated twice, that tells you it's important. And he's really saying, this guy, Jesus, the reason he is different, the reason he speaks differently, is he's speaking from a heavenly vantage. Have you ever been up in a plane? Maybe a small plane. I have a a buddy who's a a great pilot. We sometimes go up in his small plane. It's kind of interesting because you can look down. Maybe you're flying over a little two-lane highway, and it's windy, and there are other roads coming in and out of it. And you see all this traffic. And I I think to myself, man, I wish I had, like, uh, a way to communicate to those people down there because I can see there's a cop up ahead. I'd help him out a little bit, you know? Or I can see there's an accident ahead. Or I can see there's a huge traffic jam around another bend because I have this vantage. But they're down on the ground. They can see that the road has its twists and turns, but they really don't know what lies around the bend. And what John the Baptist is saying is, that's Jesus. I mean, he is speaking from up here. We're down here. And when you hear him talk, and, when, and even the people in Jesus' day said, this guy is amazing. Where does he get this wisdom from? John says, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's coming from this vantage point, and we're not. We're down here on the ground level. Secondly, he says, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. You see, John the Baptist had seen this personally because Jesus had come to be baptized by John. And when John tried to refuse, Jesus said, no, we're going to do this for the sake of obedience. And so John does baptize him. And an amazing thing happens as Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. 
The Holy Spirit literally descends and anoints Jesus. That's what the word Messiah means, by the way, or Christ. It also means the same thing, the anointed one, the chosen one. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, showing that the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon this Messiah, this Christ, this chosen one. And so John says, when, when you hear Jesus talk and you're like amazed at his teaching and you're scratching your head and going, could he be the one way, the one truth and the one life? Well, understand as the Messiah, he is God and he has been fully anointed by the Holy Spirit. He says, without limit. So he's speaking uniquely from a divine perspective, not just from a heavenly vantage, but from a divine perspective. And then he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I mean, uh, sorry, back up. My eyes skipped down. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Verse 35. The other thing that had happened at that point when, G- when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River was, was that this voice was heard. This booming voice rang out from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Bam! You, see, you remember the beginning of Authentic Jesus? Kablam! Right at the end of that little film clip? That's God with his kablam. This is my son. He's the authentic Jesus, the authentic Messiah. He's approved by me, the Father. So is he the only way to heaven? Yep. The only way. That's what John the Baptist is saying here. There's only one way, one truth, one life. There's only one who speaks from a heavenly vantage because he is from heaven. One who speaks from a divine perspective because he is divine. One who has literally the heavenly father's stamp of approval. There's only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And it is so important, John says, that we get this. There is no way around it. There's no detour on this road. It is one way, a narrow way, and it is the only way. Look at what it says. As John the Baptist closes out, after he said all of this about Jesus, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. See, John is really saying, this Messiah is going to do all these amazing things to save the world. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be the right sacrifice for the world's sins. He's going to live a perfect life so that that perfect life and all its record can be transferred directly to every last person who believes in him. And he's going to give people the key to heaven when they believe Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What a beautiful statement because of all that Jesus has done for us. But don't leave out that last part. 
This is why it's critically important that we hear this message. Do you believe in hell? Do you know hell is a real place? When when you drive down the road, when you leave church today and get on Baseline Road, and you think about all the people in this community and in this city, the people that you know, that you have relationships with, who don't know Jesus as their Savior, do you see burning houses? Because that's what those people are living in according to what John the Baptist is saying here. Burning houses. And there is only one hero, one savior, one rescuer. And his name is Jesus. And our job is to be John the Baptist. And to to get to the people in those houses, in our community, in our city, in our lives, because we believe in hell, because we believe it's real, because we believe that this is true, what John says here, whoever rejects the Son will not see life. And why not? Because God's anger, God's wrath remains on them. But it doesn't have to. Because all they need to know is Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. (laughs) Two days ago, I was in a coffee shop, and an old buddy walked in, and he had a T-shirt on, and it was uh, emblazoned right up here. It said, God's fireman. I like that. Because that's kind of what we are, God's fireman. And we have a way of being able to work with the chief fireman, the only true fireman who can put the fire out, Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, three weeks. In three weeks, we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ like no other. We're going to celebrate that he rose from the grave and that he one victory for all of us over sin, death, and hell. Do you have friends that need to know about that victory? Over their sins, their guilt, their hurts, their pains. Can I just prevail upon you? Before you leave this room today, if you didn't write down three names earlier, surely you have three names. Write them down. Pray for them. Ask God to open a door, a window, a crack for you to get through and talk to them and bring them here so that together you and we can tell them about Jesus, the only one true way to heaven. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you brought us here today to remind us of your mercy and your grace. We are sinful, Lord. And so often, even in our own faith, we waver and and we wonder, should we believe in Jesus Christ as the only one way? Should we believe in him as our Lord and Savior? Should we be silent? Is it a private matter? Should it be outlawed from our lips? 
Lord, convince us, first of all, to be followers of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, because we are blind, dead enemies of God by nature. Draw us to Jesus, your Son, as our Savior. Pour out your Holy Spirit through the means of grace on our hearts and minds. And then, Lord, as we are being Christ followers, help us to speak out as Christ followers and to love our neighbors and our friends and our relatives, to love them in this way also, that we want to share with them the one true way to eternal life, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.